Hello and welcome to the Respectfully Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Scott. Today I'll be joined by two very successful salon owners, proving that London isn't always where it's happening, and success does run throughout the country. My first guest, Philip Bell, is from a shocker salon in Aberdeen, which is now in its 36th year of business. My second guest, Tina Hollis. Tina is the owner of T2 Hair and Beauty in Kent and has been for 16 years now. I'm excited to speak to my business savvy guests about the secrets of running a successful salon. I fell into hairdressing by accident. I actually didn't want to be a hairdresser. It wasn't something I grew up wanting to do, but I've been hairdressing for 25 years and I absolutely love it. So um, I basically got dragged along by a friend to an interview and um, she'd never done the interview and never got the job and I did. Um, And I worked in a 365 salon and I thought I'll just do it for a few months before I went off to college to do my animal stuff. Um, But as soon as I got in the environment, I absolutely loved it. Um, and yeah, and I really just got a passion for colour, um, especially. I became an assessor. Um, I was very lucky that um, a good friend of mine is an amazing nail technician and um, she dragged me along to do session work with her. So that got me into that world a little bit. How did your friend take it when you, when you got the job that she, she went for? Well, no, so... <laughs> So basically, it was her mum that made us go to the career centre and there was this um, job advertised for hairdressing and I was the biggest tomboy with this big curly hair that didn't know how to tame it or anything like that and she said, oh yeah, let's go and work in a salon, we can get our hair done. I went, yeah, that's an amazing idea. <laughs> so, um, and I said, I'll come along with you for a couple of months and then I'm going to go off to college to do my A-levels and whatever I needed and she never turned up to the interview but back then we didn't have mobile phones and stuff like that so I'm sitting in this room thinking well where is she and she never turned up but I got the job and um yeah the rest is history and she ends up having yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> 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 and how about you Philip how did it all uh well I was, I was a late start I um I worked in office jobs and things and then at the age of 20 well, at the age of 19, I decided, right, that's it. I need to do this somehow. And it wasn't easy because, you know, being a 19-year-old boy. But um, I saw an advert for a, a new salon that was opening. It was actually a Steiner franchise. I don't know if you, remember, if you know Steiner. They do all the cruise lines. But they had all the big salons and the hotels and the uh, department stores and things. Anyway, I got my job and started at the age of 20. Um and then Malcolm, my partner, came on board as the manager. He had no hairdressing experience at all. He, he did retail. And then Catherine, my other partner, she, um, she joined us about six months later. And then after, I think, eight years working for uh, the lady that I worked for, things just weren't good, and we had started putting some money aside. Things came to a head, and we left and started our own... Well, we started a show in 1986. 86, yeah. So I've been here just in 30, 43 years. The salon's been open 36 years. We were an early member of 365 uh, back in the day. Um, I, I just loved it from the day that it started. You know, I'm lucky enough that I educate for Schwarzkopf and we've done competition work and I've judged competition work. Yeah. So um, the only thing I've probably not done to any extent is session work. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just been a it's just been an amazing about, career for me. I've, yeah. I've loved every second. <laughs> well, thirty six years later, it was definitely the right thing to do. <laughs> how about how about for you, Tina? How did you get around to the idea of opening your salon? 
it was never anything that I really wanted to do. I trained in a 365 salon, um, so I was very lucky because 365 really gives you a really good core base, I think, for your hairdressing. And um, so I just was really passionate about education and stuff like that. Um, I worked in a couple of salons in my town, but what I found was that I'm in a little town and a lot of them were like self-employed salons and they wasn't really pushing people to do education and it was very much of a mindset of if you've been hairdressing two years longer than someone else then you're the better hairdresser and um because you've got you've been hairdressing longer um but it, I and it was a really hard thing for me where I was wanting to do education that you could actually be looked at as though you thought you was better than somebody else and it was no I just I just want to be the best I can be um and then when I was doing the session work, I actually left salons and, and I went and done a bit of freelance hairdressing. Um, and it was just hard work because with session work, you get a last minute phone call and you need to be up in London to go and do something or you're going somewhere else. And all of a sudden I had all these clients that I was like, well, I've got a 12 hour day of clients. What am I going to do with these? And my husband and lots of my clients were saying to me you should open up your own salon like you want to do this you could train people for the future and and everything and I was just like I don't know if my salon if that, if what my dream would be would be right for where I live and then one night I went home and I said to my husband yeah let's just do it I was 25 years old completely naive and um had no idea about business um and I just thought being a busy hairdresser was enough and um yeah we've been open 16 years <laughs> <laughs> I soon learned yeah. that it wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. Massive learning curve. <laughs> Definitely a massive learning curve. But um I wouldn't change it for the world and um I'm so proud of like my salon. Um it's been hard going and especially because I'm in a, a situation where I am on my own and I think that you have this vision um, when you open your salon of what you want to be and how you want to be it. But especially when you're from a small town that's outside of London and people are really brought up in my area um, within the hairdressing industry that, that you go into hairdressing because it's easy or you go into hairdressing and you do your MVQ and then that's it and you just stay there. And then when you're trying to say to people, no, there's so much more out there, you can do that. They're like, no, there isn't. You don't work in London. You know, and they have this attitude that you can't get anywhere so that's been like something that I've really had to um overcome and, and when um, it came to opening your salon how did you decide on the location like how important was that to you when it came to looking for the salon well for me um we um was having a lot of development done in the town so one of the things that we definitely looked at was that um the high street was sort of being relocated to a degree and we didn't know how long that was going to take so we definitely looked into like the planning um, at the local council and looked at how that they was going to do that because the last thing I wanted to do was invest a lot of money into a salon that was going to be in the high street and then all of a sudden that be gone and um, so that that was something that I definitely looked into yeah that's quite important isn't it how about for you Philip how did you choose your location um so we were looking quite quickly but we were quite fortunate because there are two um, two guys that had a salon. Everyone said it was the Ashoka of its time, like years and years ago, and they owned a salon. And um, I knew one of the guys because he'd seen me doing a seminar. And 
um, he, he, um, he gave us his, well, sorry, he, there was a few people after this salon and he gave it to us and he um, allowed us to rip it out and start again and was really kind to us. So we, we chose that salon in a nice little busy area of Aberdeen, you know, not, not, not the main street, but Rosemount area which is, has a lot of people, a good big car park across the road. And it just, it was just a nice size. And as I say, we ripped it out, put it all back in, in, a, in about a week or something. Um, and that was just really, just, just, just with the, the best choice of what was available at the time, if I'm honest, you know. I don't know if we could have, I don't know if we knew much about whether we could afford it or not. <laughs> we just sort of, we just sort of went for it, you know. And, I mean, I, it's it's a bit difficult for me because Malcolm does the, Malcolm's not here, so Malcolm does the business side, so he knows a lot more about that <laughs> side. But I'm sure he, I'm sure he was counting the pennies as we were doing it, or or thought certainly certainly thinking how much we were spending. But yeah, that we just went for it. I mean, just the place that we liked, and you know that was it. And have you been in the same building for the whole time? No, that we had that salon I think for seven years, and then we had a smaller salon, like an overspill salon, and then I always wanted. I always think that the most important thing should be the hairdresser, and that's just a given. But I wanted somewhere where the visit to the salon was an experience. So um, if you, if, I don't know if you've ever seen this building, but as I say, this building is on a terrace. It's a big old granite building, massive big high ceilings. And um, so we moved up to here, uh, which is a tiny bit out of the center. Um, and a lot of people thought we were, it wasn't a wise decision, but it's just been phenomenal for us. Um, and then it was going so well, we actually gave a, we actually let the other salons go because it didn't make sense to have everybody split up. How many members of staff have you got in there? Oh, I think at our most we had 40-something, 40, 40 but I think we're down to just under 30. And uh, are they all employed? So, come... Yep. Yes. And how, yes, how about for you, yeah. Tina? How, um, how many members of staff do you have? So, I had... 19 um, employed, um, but I have um, changed how I do the salon. Um, I've done that a couple of years ago, purely for my own circumstances in respect of I had a baby. So, um, and being on your own without having like business partners and stuff like that, you can delegate, can't you, when you've got a business partner and people can take the flack for you. And um, although I had and have still got a salon manager, and everything there's only so much that people can do because when you're the boss the buck stops with you so um and i had my little boy and two days later i'm doing like getting the payroll sorted and five days later i'm doing something else like vat return and, and stuff like that and it was just like do you know what something's got to give and i'm an older mum I, I was nearly 39 when i had him and um, i knew i was only going to have one so i thought do you know what um I knew I wanted to go into education and do mentoring and stuff like that. So it was like, how am I going to do this? So when we relocated the salon, because I had a really good salon, um, very profitable salon on paper, but the overheads were extremely high. So we relocated, we we took the um, overheads down. And then what I done was with my team, um, I've got my beauty team is um, employed because beauty therapists, I think, prefer being employed and um, I've got a salon manager that's employed and apprentices that are employed and then the other girls are self-employed and it works really well because they was, they've all been with me for a long time so they still work the way that T2 works and anyone that new that comes in works our way but they're running their own business under my umbrella 
in how we do it. So it's, it's really cool. It's, it works really well. It's a lovely working environment. Were they all quite happy with the transition over? Um, I would say that initially, when I first told them, they were all absolutely petrified. Um, because when you're employed, you have that security that you know you've got your basic wage and you've got, um, you've got your holiday pay and maternity pay and, and things like that. So um, I think they were definitely um, scared to start off with. And they they also was on a very good commission rate, so they you know they they was all right. But um, when they went self employed, I think after the first initial um, couple of months, they realised because I could show them what they took, and I could say, look, this is what you're going to earn, and this is what you're going to do, and you know, and I think, and they're very happy. <laughs> so it's it's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think as well because in my area it is predominantly self-employed salons. To try and get another stylist to come and work for you, it's really hard to attract people to go employed when they've been self-employed. To try and change their mindset, I personally prefer employed, um, but at the moment it's just working for me for self-employed. And with like staff turnover, like how, what, like what initiatives do you give to, like to keep your staff with you? Oh, uh, yeah, certainly. Sorry, I'm, 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 see, I'm just, I'm just engrossed listening to you there. Um, you know what? Oh, over Go the. On, over. The problem is, I'll just be talking, <laughs> and everyone will be like, "Tina, okay, shut up." Uh, I mean, over the years we've done, you know, everyone knows that the heydays were. Whatever, you know, over the years we've done everything. We've done holidays, we've been in New York, we've been everywhere with the staff and stuff. Um, but I would say to you that if I'm honest, I think people are more interested in time off than anything. I don't think, and it, you know, we'll get to the COVID question later, but I, um, I think people just want time to, them, to live their lives and stuff. So I think you just have to adapt and treat people as individuals and see what they want. Do you know what I mean? Out of, of uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's getting more and more difficult because people have so many choices now of where they want to go and how they want to, to work that you just have to be adaptable and see what's important to them, you know? Yeah. yeah. But time off seems to be the yeah, thing. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. And I think that's what, um, for me, with my salon, when the girls were employed... Um, because in my area there isn't salons that do lots of education that was a real good incentive for people and they they really love that so I've put a couple of people through the, their MCE um, which they really like enjoyed doing that and just sort of like helped them grow their businesses and, and stuff like that but yeah like if they had like we we um we do uh, like um, most improved of the year and stylist of the year and they get like just like recognition people want recognition and yeah. pat on the back and say like you're you're doing really good so um yeah so stuff like that I think's really good for people. Have you ever noticed that people want different things since like COVID and since coming out of lockdown? I, I, Would you say time has been more important since then or? I th- well, I think a lot of people just got used before? to people just got used to not being this pushed. Uh, like sort of time wise and things. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I think I mean, they got about six months off, didn't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I yeah. I mean, our salons. I don't know strict so well, but you know, our salon runs the way it is, and everyone knows how it runs. So everyone knew what they were coming back to. But at the same time, yeah. like I say, I just think adapting is is the thing. Can I just say one little thing? Sorry. Just my mum was thir- Yeah, go My mum had me when she was thirty nine. So that's the best, that's the best oh. age to have a child. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I hope so. I, 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 hope I just so. picked that up fast and saw it. Uh, <laughs> I definitely hope so. Definitely hard work. And, uh, I'm absolutely shattered. <laughs> oh, okay. so I, just, I just picked up the up and you said it. I think with COVID, I think I can only um, go from my experiences with it. And I think for me, having... Alfie at 39 and stuff like that, that made me look at my life differently which then as a salon owner made me think well if I'm feeling like this and others must be feeling like this as well and I think that so many people do want that work-life balance so yeah. um I think that that's a, a massive thing I think um yeah COVID's definitely changes people's thing of you only live once and you need to sort of like enjoy life I also believe like my salon is really busy and I'm sure your salon is really busy as well, Philip. And at times, like I think as hairdressers, we thrive off of that. But sometimes it can also be a little bit like, right, okay, like what we're we doing here, like where's this going, what's happening over there and stuff like that. So for me, my salon has changed and adapted in a way that um, we only have so many stylists working at one time now so that it's a controlled environment. So we're really busy, we're all fully booked, which is amazing. Um, and we've all got waiting lists, but it's so much more controlled. So we're really, really, um, yeah, we're like still running around like headless chickens, but you don't see that, if, if that makes sense, as much. And I think that's given everyone a better working environment. I definitely feel like it's changed the salon into a much more fun environment as well, because um, we have a lot of banter and a lot of laughter and, and stuff like that, because I think you just got to enjoy life, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to enjoy your yeah. work. Can I, can so, I ask, do you, do you have to... Yeah. Do you think that your staff now have a better realisation that, although hairdressing's all this fun and lovely and everything, but it is a business, so they'll know that, that is, it is a yes. balance. It, although you want to have your time off and stuff, if you're not going to work, you're not going to make money to enjoy your time off. And that. Are they more aware now that they're self-employed? or? I think 100%, because when my girls were all employed, like when all the team was employed, I was very much... In, I've got the attitude that you have to be really open with your staff. So we used to have a weekly team meeting, just like a quick breakfast club on a Saturday to say, like, how's the week gone on? You know, how's people found this and stuff like that? But we also used to do a, a team sort of meeting, training session once a month. And it was all about them learning how to run their column as a business. So even when they were employed, because they had their targets to meet, and, and commission and, and stuff like that they always knew their figures every week they had their figures given to them and they knew where they were and I was there to help mentor them to sort of like grow their 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 client retention and 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 stuff like that so they've taken everything that they've learned and taken that into self into their self-employed role and the difference between my team um in the self-employed role and then some people that I know at other salons around my area when I talk to them they've got no idea on what they're doing with running their business. So I think that that's the difference in my salon. So um, when people come to work for me, I've got people that have only been with me for 18 months and they've got fully booked columns and they're like, I just never realised that we could do it like this. And actually what they do say, um, one of the girls said to me, when I was employed, if I had a cancellation, I didn't care because it meant I could sit down and have a cup of tea. But if I have a cancellation now, I'm like, hold on a minute, I've still got to pay my rent and I've still got to pay for my stock. and I've still... So definitely it's made that yeah. difference. I don't necessarily think that would be COVID. I think that's just down to educating the Absolutely. team and how yeah. to be. Yeah. 
within your salons you do what colouring, cutting, do you do bridal work, extensions? Uh, which area, Tina, for you, like which area probably makes you the most money? A hundred percent colour. We're we're known as a colour salon, so we uh, we even have other salons in our area send people to us to do stuff that they don't feel confident to do. So we're known as like the colour correction and technical salon. So um, yeah, definitely colour is our thing. And because going back to that whole thing of educating your team, um, my um, staff know their, their margins. They know how much it costs to do each, each service. So even my employed girls and everything, like we know which ones to push and which ones we can sort of like maybe put to the side a little bit. Um, but yeah, um, definitely colour for me is um, we, we are so busy. And it's because it, you're so. known for that in the area. So yeah, you know so white we, colour is the best thing for you? Yeah, 100%. I would say that, um, I would say like 80, 80 to 85% of our clients are in for colour work. We, and then we've got yeah, a few yeah. that have like a bit of cut and styling, but that's, yeah, that's what we do. How about for your salon, Philip? How, what area would you say for I, you? I would say definitely. We've always been a big colour salon. And um, I think when I started as a junior which it was, you know, you got the whatever colour you got was whatever the stylist's favourite colour was or whatever, you know. Um, and because yeah. I loved colour, we've always had a, a history of being comfortable with colour and knowledgeable of colour and doing the MCEs and stuff and, and Schwarzkopf's equivalent. Uh, I think having that knowledge and being able to um, do a further consultation with people is, is what makes you strong. But yeah, I would say we've got... We've got one girl who's exceptional at extensions, and that's quite a good uh, uh, income for the salon. But at the moment, yeah, still, it's still colour, still a colour salon. And with um, like obviously like low maintenance colours like balayage being on trend, have you? How are you finding that affecting your colour business, or have you sort of found ways to introduce like you know express services in between? Yeah, I, 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 you know, I think you've, yeah, I mean, I, Malcolm uh, obviously does the business and he thinks a lot of our standard colour has, some people have extended their appointments a wee bit. My colour, my colours are still pretty regular. We have a young lad called Justin who's um, our new sort of up and coming star uh, and he does a lot of fashion colours and stuff. But I, I, I find that even with the, if you have a root drag and things, that they're still colouring it. Do you know what I mean? And and then of course you've got the you've got the toning business because people are coming back to their hair retoned and stuff. So I I suppose that is extending their. I I don't know if the young people with these fashion colours have the same every six week colour. So I suppose that is a thing. Yeah. But um, yeah. the I mean colour is such big business, isn't it? Because all these young girls have long hair. So, yeah. you know, all these fashion techniques is far bigger business I think than it's ever been, which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah, I feel I I don't feel like um it's affected and and even going back to when we had the recession like the double dip recession and everyone when balayage and everything was the first sort of like coming on the scene and everyone was like panicking going oh you know what we're going to do you just find ways around it and at the end of the day you know to keep people's color looking fresh you need to educate your customer so and that's what we really do is um we really educate that person so if it I call it the big work little work medium work and it's like you come in for the big work and you have your balayage and then six weeks later you're going to come in and we're going to do your refreshing techniques. We're going to do a cut and style, but we're also going to do a treatment, whether that be Inalux or Wellaplex or something like that. And then the time after that, you know, we're going to do some face framing. We're going to move this up. And so you and you plant the, the seed into your customer's mind. And because 
those in-between appointments are a little bit cheaper, then they're like, yeah, that's fine, I can keep coming in to do that because it's keeping my hair on point. Whereas when people sort of like have a balayage and don't go and get it done for six months, they come back in and then you're like, whoa, what happens? So you, it's just sort of like educate. It's down to us as a hairdresser to educate our clients on how they maintain these these colours. My hair's a lot brighter than this normally. I've just come back from holiday, but I'm a vivid red and um, I attract a lot of vivid colour work. So again, it is all about education um, for those people. And I think you're right, Philip, like nowadays, there's so many different techniques out there that all the young girls want to try all these different things that, yeah, you, you can just, you can do it. I think, yeah, yeah. I think as well that, that it's helped a wee bit with our um, retail because obviously there are a lot of, um, a lot of products, whether it's with your red hair or, your, or, or keeping your, yeah. your blondes clean. We have a nice sort of range of products that people can take home like, from Schwarzkopf for that, that, from the maintenance point of view. So that's, again, that's where you might lose somewhere you gain in other areas. I was going to say that I think um, people came out of COVID and because they had such a long time, there was a little bit of a fear that, oh, they've gone so long without having their hair done and they're going to be all right. But actually, I found it the reverse. They're like, I never want to go through that again. <laughs> like, I want my hair to look nice. So yeah, um, yeah. I think COVID <laughs> done us a bit of a favour in that respect. <laughs> so. yeah. I cried about my roots for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think even I, I, even with some of my clients who decided to go grey, most of them are still coming in having toners and stuff or having some form of colour refreshing, you know. They haven't, not a lot of them have totally abandoned colour at all you know and I think and nowadays because there's so much stuff to do with like grey blending and like you say like the toning and the glossing you know they they might be embracing their natural colour but you're you're still tweaking it and yeah so yeah I'd still say that they're regular so Tina obviously you've had the salon 16 years um what have been your highs and your lows of like running that business how long you got (laughs) um the highs is um, having a salon in my area that's recognised for colour and something that I'm so passionate about and also being recognised as the person um, in my area that is really sort of getting behind education and trying to sort of prove that just because you're from a small town you can still do stuff and it's it's really been great. Um, I'm currently pro hair, I'm doing like a business column with them um, I've been doing it for a couple of months now and like it's little things like when people come in and say like that aren't even in our industry that have like read it on our Instagram or something like that and they say that's amazing that you're doing that sort of thing like and get that sort of stuff that's great and to try and sort of like be inspirational the lows for me of my salon um is definitely staff <laughs> so um I've really had some uh I think it's very hard to not um, get an emotional attachment to people especially when you're working on the salon floor and it's when you trust someone and, and stuff something comes along and out of the blue they do something you just think wow like I never saw that coming um and I've had it happen a couple of times and I've really had to sort of like harden up to it and so you have to sort of like learn to how to detach yourself emotionally from certain situations and I think as creatives, we're quite emotional people. So um, that's quite hard to do. So I would definitely think that um, for me, having a couple of things happen to me with regards to staff leaving in a way that they've left when you've never seen it come in and actually there's no reason for it. So for instance, I had someone that was working for me, 
really amazing hairdresser, done loads of stuff and had set up a salon at home behind my back and was taking clients. And I was like, what What the hell? Like, and you never saw it, you know, and that's, that's really heartbreaking. You class them as a really good friend in the end and it's like, wow, where did that come from? But, you know, you grow from these things and you learn from it. Yeah. And how about for you, Philip, what have been the, I mean, 36 years, what the... Yeah, I think the lows are, I think probably the lows are staff-based. And I think, I say to people all the time, that it's twofold when people leave. Um, obviously, it affects your business, which is, is devastating. But you're right. You know, you, I think people forget that you've been friends with these people. You've travelled with them. You've spent lots of time with them. So it's very difficult to not take it personally. I mean, I'm, you know, getting on a bit now and I'm still working on trying to not take it personally. But I always think that um, I like to think Ashoka was a, an important part of their life, but you've got to realise it's not their life, you know, and they are going to want, have, want and need different things. Um, in terms of the highs, we've been quite lucky just having, just having the business we've had and having this building and stuff. And then Catherine and I, are the big thing for us was the British Hairdressing Awards. So that was my high. Uh, Catherine and I are both in the Hall of Fame because we won our respective categories three times. So that was, on a, on a career high, that was my personal favourite thing. I'm going to like wrap it up now. So can you leave us, each of you, Tina, if you want to go first, which is your number one top secret to running a successful salon? For me, it's um, educating your team um, in running their own column as a business. So, and... Rebook, rebook your clients. The amount of people I speak to that they'll go, oh, but they work shifts or, oh, they're going to give me a call in a few weeks' time or they're going to book online. And it's like, but you're leaving that open for them. So um, I looked at my salon's rebook rate um, for last year and our rebook rate was 88.6%. So I knew for that whole year, 88.6% of my year, was all rebooked, you know, like we had a really high rebook rate. And that's amazing because as a business, you need that. You need to know that you can pay your bills. And if you don't educate your team on doing that, and then also for them, educating them to hit their target, to earn their commission, or if they're self-employed, they, they've got their bills to pay. So yeah, it's about educating them to run their columns as a business within your business. And then that then in itself will help make it successful. Definitely. How about for you, Philip? What was what's your number one top secret? <laughs> well, I, I think just because we've been to go for so long, I think just adapt as you go along. And I think don't take anything for granted. I think as soon as you start to rest on your laurels, then, you know, you're going to come on. You're going to get caught out. Um, Definitely. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's actually, I mean, obviously there's all the experience of the years that go by and you learn hopefully from it, but... I think changing with the times and, like I said, don't, don't take anything for granted. Well, lovely. It's been lovely to have you both with us today. <laughs> Thank I'm you. sorry about the malfunction. Thank you for your time. Wow, some really great stuff there. And I hope you've actually been able to take something away from today's discussion. A huge thank you to our guests, Tina and Philip. But before you go, I just wanted to let you know we love reading your feedback, so please don't forget to rate and review the Respectfully podcast. Until next time.